Hey, good morning. Good morning. Hey, welcome to River Church. My name is Matt, and uh, I'm excited for what God has for us this morning. I'm also excited for 3 o'clock this afternoon, because at 3 o'clock is the kickoff of the amazing race. So I encourage you, if you have middle school or high school kids, or you are a high school kid in here, come at 3 o'clock for the amazing race. Um, it's going to be awesome. And uh, you know, the thing about the amazing race is if you come, you might finish in second place, because I'm going to win with my team. But you might finish in second if you come. Uh, but you know, it's interesting, we do the Amazing Race as a way to gather kids, because we really believe that it, one of the core values that we have is you can't do life alone. We all need to do life shoulder to shoulder with somebody else. And so the Amazing Race is a way for us to gather high school kids and middle school kids and introduce them to a small group that's going to love on them throughout the year and introduce them to each other. And so we want to do that for them. And so that's a big part of what happens in Amazing Race tonight or this afternoon. So I encourage you to bring your kids back. And, uh, you know, for adults, we also believe that you can't do life alone. And so we have Ridge Groups. And so Ridge Groups will start next, or not start, but we'll do signups next week for Ridge Groups. So I encourage you to be thinking about that. And as I was thinking about this for the difference between like a high school kid and a, like a old adult like all of us in here, or a middle school kid and us adults, is like, the kids, they get the amazing race, and we get sign-ups. <laughs> amazing race! So maybe we should do the amazing sign-ups next week, so. All right, that's enough of that. Hey, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you that we get to look into your word, and we look to, get to look at this amazing passage in the book of Acts, and uh, just, it speaks so much to us and I pray that as we look at this passage, you would speak to our hearts, that you would prompt us, that you would show us the things that you want us to do uh, and the people that you want us to reach. Help us, Lord, to focus on you and your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, I live uh, over in South Hills on the other side of the river, and I drive here to this building, River Ridge Church building, probably 10 to 20 times every single week. And so I'm always driving Greenbrier Street from the highway to here, here to the highway. I drive that all the time. And you may not realize this unless you drive it all the time, but there's actually a lot of pedestrian traffic. There's a lot of people that walk between here and downtown back and forth. And it's partly because there's a methadone clinic, sort of our neighbors over that direction, Capitol High School. There's people that just walk downtown because they missed the bus or whatever. But there's a lot of foot traffic there. And so most of the time, I, you know, I just drive one way, I drive the other, I notice people, or I don't notice people, I try not to hit anybody, and if I don't, that's a pretty good day. But a number of months ago, I was driving, and there was this guy and girl who were walking, and they looked to be high school age kids, and I drove past them, and I felt God prompting me to say, Matt, go pick them up. Go pick them up, Matt. And so I drove past them, and then I turned my car around, circled back behind him, pulled up next to him, and I said, hey, can I give you guys a ride? And so they got in, and we had just sort of a normal conversation as far as, you know, where do you guys go to school? What year are you? Where do you live? They asked me, you know, what do you do? Where are you coming from? I'm coming from church. I'm the pastor there. And so it was just a, a typical three, four, five-minute conversation taking me, you know, that took to get from here to where they were going. Let them out of the car. Didn't really think much about it. I'm like, oh, that was kind of a nice conversation. wonder why God prompted me to pick up those people. Because, like I said, I pass people all the time that I don't pick up. Well, about, gosh, it was probably four days later, maybe five days later, I get a message from a friend of mine. And this is what she writes. 
So I wanted to share with you a cool God moment. You picked up two young people after school the other day that had missed their bus, a boy and a girl. The girl makes fun of the boy for his walk with Christ and tells him she does not believe. Well, when they missed the bus, he started to pray, and he prayed out loud, and he prayed hard. Shortly after that, you showed up, and after they got out of the car, he said to her, See, God listened by sending us a pastor. Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha, I guess, ha uh, ha, she said, I guess he did. What a huge seed planted. You know, I got to play a small role in a bigger thing that God was doing. And this morning, we're going to talk about a story we're sharing as we wrap up this series. And we're going to talk about this thing that we play a role in a bigger thing that God is doing. If you're new this morning or you've missed the last couple of weeks, a story we're sharing is a message or a series about evangelism, where we're trying to figure out how can we share our faith? How can we share the story we're sharing, which is the story of God, the story of Jesus Christ, that the God of the universe loves us so much that he sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for us that we might have eternal life. That's the story we're sharing and that we get to be a part of that. And so the first week we talked about our fears, how we have some fears about sharing our faith. What are people going to think of me? What if I don't have the right answers? I have my own doubts or my life isn't all together yet. And we talked about how do we get past those fears and recognizing that God has a heart for the lost and the hearts of the lost will stop beating one day. And then last week, Sam Scott shared about earning the right to be heard, that what we do is we build these friendships with people and we earn the right to be heard. We don't just walk to people randomly on the street, but the way that we do it typically is we build a friendship with people and then share the gospel. And as I thought about that this week, of this idea of building a bridge of friendship, here's something that I think, here's something that I know that I'm guilty of, and it's something I think I, I'm guessing that most of us at River Ridge are guilty of, and it's this, is that we're good at building the bridge of friendship, but we don't ever cross the bridge. We build the friendships. We're good at building friendships of, of inviting people to be a part of our lives and being a part of their lives. We build those relationships, but we never cross the bridge that we've built and share the gospel. Why is that? You know, it, it could be because we're too busy. It could be because we've got other things on our minds. We could be, could be because we don't think they want to hear about it. You know, it, it could be a bunch of different things. Maybe we're not quite sure what to say, but we build the bridge, but then we don't cross it. And so this morning, what we're going to talk about is how do we cross this bridge? We're praying for people we're caring for people, we're asking about their lives and what's important to them. How do we take that and cross the bridge and get into conversations about the gospel? Here's the bottom line that we're going to see all morning this morning, and it's this, and you can write that, this down. I'd encourage you to write this down. To share the story, follow the promptings of God. To share the story, follow the promptings of God. Paul, when he writes a letter to the Galatians, puts it this way. He talks about walk in the Spirit or walk in step with the Spirit of God. It's this idea that when God speaks to me, that I do what He wants me to do. I walk in conjunction with what He says. And so when we talk about the promptings of God, the promptings of God can come from all different places. 
You know, it may be that God just puts an idea in your head. You have an idea. What if I picked up these two kids? What if I picked up the phone and called my friend? What if I did this? And, and it's an idea that God puts in your head. And maybe it's just the Holy Spirit puts it there. It could be that it's through somebody else. You are having a conversation, and you hear something that they did to reach out to a friend and to share the gospel. I should try that. Or maybe you'd read something in the Bible, in God's Word, and you think, man, that's a great idea, and God puts something in your head. Those are the promptings of God, and they come from all different places. It might come from a sermon or a podcast or a TV show or a movie or wherever, but God puts something in your head It says, Matt, Stacy, Fred, Susan, Sam, John, do this. And we go, okay, I'm going to do it. So we're going to look this morning in Acts chapter 8. If you brought your Bible, turn there, and we're going to look at a guy named Philip, and God gave him some promptings in this story that we're going to look at. Now, we're going to begin, we're going to, the bulk of what we're going to do is look in Acts chapter 20, or Acts chapter 8, verses 26, and what comes after that. Uh, But we're actually going to start to give a little bit of context and read two verses from the beginning of this chapter. So it begins like this. It says, And Saul approved his execution. The his is Stephen. So Saul approved his execution. And because of that, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. And so Stephen was killed. Everybody who was part of the church, the first church, was in Jerusalem. But then persecution broke out against the church. And it says that they were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. So it's interesting. So this is written by a guy named Luke. He wrote the Gospel of Luke and he wrote the book of Acts. And Luke had a couple of different words he could have chosen for the word scattered. And we scatter things in different ways. You know, I take papers and I scatter them around the room, or we take ashes and we scatter them. We take dirt and we scatter it over a hole or whatever, and we scatter things. But then there's also the scattering of seeds. We can take seeds and we can scatter them on a field. And in the original language, Luke had two possibilities to choose. Is it scatter like ashes or paper or dirt, or is it scatter like a seed? He used scatter like a seed because they scattered, but then they were planted and then they grew up and they shared the gospel. That's the scattered that it was. And then in verse 4, it tells what they did. It says, now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. That They were scattered to all different places and they shared the gospel. We're talking about it's a story we're sharing. That's what they did. They went and they shared the gospel in all these different places. And as we think this morning about being scattered, I would ask you this question. Where has God scattered you to? You know, the first week I said, make a prayer list. List who are the people that God wants you to reach. Last week, Sam talked about this idea of a platform, that God has given you a platform to reach and to talk to people about Christ. That's where God has put you. Where has God scattered you? Who has God called you to reach? What is God prompting you right now saying, this is who you could reach. This is who I want you to reach out to and pray for and look for opportunities to share the gospel. So all these Christians are in Jerusalem. They're scattered. And then we're going to follow the story of one of them, and his name is Philip. And we're going to pick up his story in verse 26. It says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, 
Rise and go toward the south and to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is the desert place. So it says that the Lord said to Philip, that was the prompting. An angel of the Lord said to Philip, that was the Lord prompting Philip to say, go to this road. Now, when Philip heard this, he probably would have scratched his head and said, did I hear you right? Because to say to go to the road from Jerusalem to Gaza, well, that would make sense because there's a lot of people that travel that road. But he says, but I want you to go to the desert. Go to the desert road. There's one that leads from Jerusalem to Gaza, but nobody really travels on that. It's hot. Maybe it's dangerous. It's dusty. So people don't travel that direction, but the Lord prompts them and says, go to this one. And he's probably going, why, why would I go to that particular road? And then it says this. Look at these five words in verse 27. And he rose and went. Here's what I want us to see in that passage, is respond quickly. So when the Holy Spirit, when God prompts you to do something, go quickly, do it. Follow that prompting right away. You know, when God prompts us to do something, He's inviting us on an adventure. He's inviting us to be a part of a bigger thing that He's doing. And we have this great choice to be a part of the adventure that He is calling us to be a part of. You know, when I picked up those two high school kids who were walking on Greenbrier Street, I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know why God wanted me to do that, but it was part of a bigger story of what God was doing. But, you know, it doesn't always end up, we don't always see the end result of what God is doing. One of the things that I do is I coach tennis at the University of Charleston. And, uh, and so there's a guy on my tennis team from England named Sam. And he and I had a couple of conversations about spirituality and God and so forth. And I felt God prompting me to buy him a book um, by C.S. Lewis, who's English, uh, called Mere Christianity. I'm like, well, Sam's English, you know. C.S. Lewis is English. Seems like a match. So I gave it to Sam. He goes, oh, thanks, coach. That's the way he talks. Thanks, coach. <laughs> so, so I give him the book, and I'm like, God prompted me to give it to him. We'll see what God does. I'm anxious, like, what, God, what is God going to do? I get in his car, I don't know, a couple months later, two, three months later, and I look in the back seat, and mere Christianity is not only on the floor of the car, but it has footprints all over it. Like, this thing has not been read at all. But you know what? I did what God prompted me to do. It's not my role to make him read the book, to force him into a conversation that's not there. I just, I listen to the prompting of God, and, and, you know, maybe that book, he'll pull that out off his shelf, you know, this year or next year, and go, Coach, you remember that book that you gave me? I, I read it, and I've got some questions. I don't know what'll happen, but we follow the promptings of God and let God do the rest. Now we meet the other character in this story. So it says, And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship. Now we meet this guy, and it says that he's an Ethiopian. So we're gonna I want us to understand who this is, and there's a bunch of descriptors there. So it says he's from Ethiopia, so he is African. Okay? And it says that he works for the court official of Candace. Now, Candace, just so you know, is not somebody's name. It's not like you go, hey, Candy, how's your day going? Candace is a title. It would be like the governor or the vice president or something along those lines. That's the title, that she's the Candace. She is the Candace. Okay? 
uh, queen of the Ethiopians. So she is in charge of this group of Ethiopians. And then it says he was in charge of all of her treasure. Okay, what that meant is he was basically the secretary of the treasury for Ethiopia, of Ethiopia at the time. Okay, and I'm just, just out of curiosity, does anybody here know who the secretary of the treasury for the U.S. is? Anybody? I didn't know either. I'd have looked up. I was so curious. But it's Steve Munchen. Anybody heard his name? So this is the Steve Munchen of the year 40 in Ethiopia. Got that? You don't care? I'll move on. Okay. So, but here's the thing. So he's, uh, he's Ethiopian. He's the, in the treasury. But the thing that is most pronounced about him is it says that he is a eunuch. Okay? And a eunuch means exactly what you think it means. He was castrated. It's a good thing the middle school boys are not in here. They'd be giggling at this point, right? You can giggle if you want. But here's the thing is, he was an Ethiopian eunuch. And the reason that he was a eunuch is because most of the, of the countries at this point, most of the kingdoms were, rule, were ruled by monarchies. And so a monarchy meant that the power stayed within a particular family. And so they wanted to keep... The, the power within the family. And so in order for somebody to be a part of the kind of the, the central governing of a place, that they, there were exceptions they would make. But one of the exceptions they would make is if a person was a eunuch. And the reason that they would let a eunuch be part of this inner circle of power is because they couldn't, I mean, just to put it bluntly, they couldn't sleep their way to the top. They couldn't have children and therefore their own heirs become part of the central part of the monarchy. And so... He was castrated in order to have this position of power and of wealth in this government in Ethiopia. So he goes on this journey. It's a five-month journey, about a thousand miles, and he's going because there's something that's stirring in him that wants to know the truth about God. Maybe he's heard about Yahweh. Maybe he's heard about Jerusalem as the center of religious activity, but he ends up going there. But his arrival at the temple, more than likely, was incredibly, incredibly disappointing. This is not in the text, but we can take a good guess that he went to the temple and they didn't allow him in. And they wouldn't have allowed him in because of this law from the book of Deuteronomy. It says this, No one whose testicles are crushed or whose male organ is cut off shall enter the assembly of God. And that's just sad. Makes this journey. He wants to find God. He wants to find God so badly. And they say, sorry, you can't come in. We don't allow your type in this place. So then here's what happens next. Verse 27. It says, And he had come to Jerusalem to worship, and was returning seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to join him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet. So once again, the the Spirit speaks to him and he says, go be joined to this chariot. And right away, he goes over and he is joined to this chariot. And the word join here is a really cool word. It means like glued or stuck with. He says, go and stick with this chariot so you can see what to do next. And it's like, I don't know if you, remember if you were here last week, but Sam talked about um, how, there were, how Job had some friends. 
and his friends and came and sat with Job for seven days. And they just sat with him in his agony for seven days. And then after seven days, Job finally got the strength and the courage to speak. They were glued to Job out of their friendship. And that's what's going on. He was glued to the chariot. And the question for us is, are we glued to people like that? And I tell you, for, for Philip to be glued to this guy or to go and share the gospel and build this relationship with this Ethiopian eunuch was way, way, way out of his comfort zone. I mean, here we have Philip. He's poor. He's Jewish by birth. He's become a Christian. And he lives in Israel. And here's this guy who's basically a wealthy transgender African. And they form this relationship. And it starts because he was glued to it. And it says that he was reading from the book of Isaiah. And here's what I want us to see. Again, we're, we're gonna, let's follow the promptings of God. What do we need to understand in order to do that? Here's the second thing, is know that God goes before you. Know that God goes before you. God was at work in the eunuch's heart way before Philip arrived. I mean, for this journey, this five-month journey, somewhere along the line, he picked up the scroll of Isaiah, and he was reading the book of Isaiah. He was searching, and Philip just joined in with what God was already doing. And that's such an important thing for us to understand, that we're not trying to create something that God is not doing. We just follow the promptings, and we move where God has us move. But it's his role to draw people to himself. Then it says this, verse 30. It says, so Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. I, I love this passage because he asked him this great question. He says, what are you reading? He says, do you understand what you're reading? You know, he didn't say, hey, how's the journey going? He didn't say, you know, how far, how long is it going to take you to get back? He didn't ask the question that I would be dying to ask, how come you're a eunuch? Like, that, that, that's not what he asked, right? He just asked this simple question, do you understand what you are reading? It's the third prompting. Ask questions. Ask questions. Be a great question asker. We ask people questions about their life and their family, and we want to be in the habit of doing that. And then when we start asking about where they're coming from spiritually, it's a natural progression. It's not just out of the blue. We've already found out about who they are and their family, what they care about and their passions in life, and then we're asking, we're digging a little bit deeper and finding about spiritually. You know, we ask questions like, you know, do, you, do you go to church? What do you think happens when you die? Why did you stop going to church. We may ask, well, you know, what do you think God's measure is for who gets into heaven and who doesn't? And we ask these questions, these spiritual questions. What do you believe about God? Who do you think Jesus was? And we, again, we listen to the promptings of God about what questions to ask. This past summer, our family went on a bike trip and uh, it was great. We had a couple of guides that were with us, and so we spent five days biking, so there was opportunities for conversations with different people. And so there was one day I was biking with our guide. We were at the very end of the pack, and, uh, and he said, his name was uh, Synod. And so I was asking him about, you know, what's your background? Where do you come from kind of thing? And so it's a very interesting story. He has um, one of his parents that was Muslim, 
the other parent was Catholic, and he grew up in an incredibly atheistic, communist culture. And so I said, what do you believe? And he goes, I'm an atheist. And then God gave me this question, and I think it was the question that God gave me, and I said, well, let me ask you this. Are you an atheist, or are you actually an agnostic? Because an atheist says there is no God at all, no chance of a God. But an atheist says, well, there might be a God. I'm not sure one way or the other. There's no evidence for it. So are you an atheist or are you an agnostic? And that led to a little bit more conversation. And it wasn't like, you know, I led him to Christ at the end of the bike trip or anything like that. But I planted a seed. And we plant seeds with the questions that we ask. And we get to be involved in this adventure that God has for us. Then we come to verse 32. It says, Now the passage of the Scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shear is silent. So he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe this generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I, about whom I ask you does the prophet say this? About himself or someone else? Again, God is at work here. Right? It just so happens he's reading the, God, the, the, the book of Isaiah, and it just so happens that he's reading a passage that's about Jesus. A sheep led to the slaughter, that's Jesus being led to the cross. A lamb silent before the shearer, that Jesus is silenced before his accusers. In his humiliation, he died half naked on a cross. Justice was denied him. All those things are true of Jesus. And so this is the gospel that he's reading. And Philip explains it to him. It says this, verse 35. It says, Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. It says that Philip opened his mouth and told him the good news about Jesus. I want us to understand something, that when we talk about sharing the gospel We want to get to the point where we open our mouths and we share verbally, this is who Christ is. This is God's love for you. You know, there's a a famous quote by a guy named, it's at least attributed to St. Francis of Assisi, and maybe you've heard it, which says this, preach the gospel and when necessary or if necessary, use words. And it's a great little quote, and, and I like the quote, but it's a little bit problematic because of this, is that when we preach the gospel, we have to use words, right? We can live a good life, but that does, that's not the whole gospel. We want to live out the gospel of people's lives, but that doesn't get us all the way to the gospel. It'd be like if I said this. I said, um, let me give you a, my phone number, but I'm not going to use digits. I'm not going to use numbers. How could I give you my phone number if I didn't use numbers? It's a necessary part of it. The gospel, the verbal proclamation of the gospel is a necessary part of the gospel. Yes, absolutely, we want to live a good life. We want people to see Christ in us. But I got news for you and for me. You don't live a good enough or perfect enough life for somebody to see your life and never speak a word about Jesus for you and go, oh, now I know what it means to accept Christ. Now I can start a relationship with Christ. We don't live that good of lives. And so we look for an opportunity to share the gospel. That's the fourth prompting, is open your mouth. 
Open your mouth. Just open your mouth. That's using the words right out of the book of Acts here. We open our mouth and we share the gospel. And I want to encourage us here uh, and challenge you is to make sure that you know how to share the gospel. If somebody came up to you right now and said, I want to become a Christian, what does that mean? How do I do that? Would you be able to answer that? I want you to be able to answer that because the first time somebody asked me that question, I'll be real honest, I got it wrong. I've been a Christian for about four months, and I was at this retreat, and somebody who was new to this said, what does it mean to become a Christian? And this is what I said, and don't write this down because this is the wrong answer. I said, well, you need to read your Bible, you need to pray, you need to have fellowship with other Christians, you need to witness about your faith. You know, that's a really good answer to a totally different question. If the question was, how do I grow spiritually? Man, that's a pretty good answer. But that wasn't the question. I got it wrong. You see, we need to understand the gospel. When we talk about the gospel, there's three parts to the gospel whenever we present the gospel. There's the problem, the solution, and the response. The problem is that we have sin. We are tainted with sin, that we cannot be good enough to earn our way to God or to heaven, that we're tainted with sin. The solution is that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, taking away the penalty of our sin. And the response is we receive Christ as the Savior of our lives. That's the gospel. Again, I challenge you, if somebody came up to you when you're out at lunch afterwards and said, what does it mean to be a Christian? Would you be able to say what it means to be a Christian or how do I receive Christ as my Savior? We have this evangelism workshop that's a three-week deal, and the second week is this week. Uh, in your seat back in front of you, there's a little yellow card. I encourage you to be a part of that. If you're not sure that you can answer that question, come tonight, 6.30, and I will walk you through. I'll give you some analogies, some verses, some helps to do that. Come at 6.30 tonight, or you can come on Tuesday at 6.30 or Wednesday at 6.30. But come, even if you didn't come to the first week, come this week to understand how do you actually present the gospel. And I'd also say this, if you're here this morning and you've never responded to the gospel, you know that you're sinful. You know and you've heard from being around Jesus died on the cross for your sins, but you've never responded. To make that response today, to say, I place my faith in Christ for the forgiveness of sins, make that decision your own today. Let's finish the story, verse 36. It says, and he commanded the chariot to stop, and they went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized them. That's how the story ends. He comes to faith in Christ, and then he gets baptized. What a great finish to this story. And I want to stop here just for a moment and talk to you. If you've never been baptized, why not? Maybe you've received Christ. Your response is, I've placed my faith in Christ, but you've never been baptized, to make that decision to do that. October 14th will be our next baptism. Let us know if you want to be baptized. We put this series intentionally kind of at the beginning of August, beginning to the middle of August, because we have a series coming up starting next week, which is called Connect. Excuse me, it's called Reconnect. And this series is designed to help people connect with God. And over the last few weeks, we've been talking about building relationships and building bridges and bringing people to the gospel. This Reconnect series is an opportunity for you 
to invite somebody to hear the gospel. As you leave this morning, there's a little card, which I have lost. There you go. It's on the silver tables out there that says reconnect. It's just a little postcard. And maybe there's somebody that you want to invite to come and hear about reconnecting with God. And just take it, give it to them, mail it to them, however you want to do that. There'll be some stuff on Facebook this week. But we want to give you the opportunity to put into practice the story we're sharing. And we talk about reconnect. You're going to have opportunities to bring people and then follow up with them with the gospel and some spiritual conversations. Because here's the thing, is God invites us in to share the story. This is God's story that we get the privilege of proclaiming. And we get to tell the story because God prompts us to build relationships and build bridges and cross those bridges. And we get the opportunity to tell the story. And it is an absolute privilege to be able to do it. And I challenge you this week to listen to the promptings of God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch and how much we learn from it. God, let us follow the promptings that you give us. Don't let us shrink back from fear or thinking that it's not you or whatever other excuse we might come up with, Lord. Let us follow the prompting and have these conversations to be on this adventure of sharing the greatest story that could ever be told. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.